0: Chris and Chris Talk Movies.
1: Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Chris Ferry, and this is my co host. I am Chris Huddleston. And today we are very excited to be talking to you about the absolutely bonkers <laughs> movie, Crawl.
0: Beyond our time, beyond our universe there is a planet besieged by alien invaders where a young king must rescue his love from the clutches of the beast or risk the death of his world a world called Krull Arm yourself! We'll fight together To this world have come the Slayers And their overlord, the Beast If you consent to be my queen, I will hold the attacks of the Slayers Their incredible power Has taken the planet by force Their inhuman savagery Has got to be stopped And these are the ones who must stop it Thieves Let's just kill them and be done with it. Warriors, wizards, a changeling. That rudeness! I think I'll turn you into a goose. Ah. A cyclops. That's the second time you've saved my life. A child. Ah. A king. I give fire to water. It will not return. Except from the hand of the woman I choose as my wife. Unlikely allies. Well, you heard him. We are now an army. Battling an unbeatable enemy. For the life of the Princess Lyssa. He's too powerful. And the freedom of the planet Kroll. Courage lives in many worlds. But the bravest of all is Krull. A world light years beyond your imagination.
1: Okay, well, if you had any questions about what was going on, that trailer just answered them all, probably. But do you have a synopsis for us, nonetheless? I do. On the planet of Kral,
2: an evil creature called the Beast decimates the world's army and kidnaps the lovely Princess Lissa, who is destined to become queen. Her brave, they say beau, uh, Fiance, I don't know. Prince Calwin leads a motley band of warriors, including Ergo and Keegan, to rescue his beloved. However, before he can face the beast, Calwin must locate a mystical weapon known as the glaive, which he can use to slay the hideous villain.
1: Yeah, okay. That was even more succinct than the trailer was. Now, I had seen this. Um it's been a long long time but I had seen this movie and you had not. Is I had correct? not. That I mean, is correct. So why don't we begin with you? What are your first impressions? Okay. So
2: um yeah I had not seen this. I this was a movie that I you know very much remember the the poster art or the VHS cover or whatever with the guy with the weapon and the In the background, I always thought it was a mountain with a face on it, but I guess it's the Beast. I don't know. Um, But for whatever reason, I'd never seen it. And in my mind, I mixed this up quite a bit with Beastmaster. I thought it was going to be a lot like that. It's not really. Um, So I started, you know, when I started watching the first 10 or 15 minutes, I thought, ooh, this is going to be a slog. I, w- I was not into it in, in the very beginning. Um, but so the opening is they, uh, the, the beast, they, um, lands on the planet of crawl in his giant spaceship. That's a mountain wait, or wait, whatever. I want to, oh, I want to,
1: slow I want to slow down even more because, okay. okay. Um, one of my sort of, I, this is the first one that I felt like I really wish I had taken a bunch of notes because I, There's so much I want to talk about in this. Well, I have a lot of questions
2: for you because there were things that I was confused about
1: (laughs) a little. So I don't know that I can answer them, but um, it is a huge Frankenstein of a bunch of other source material all stitched together into one movie. And Mm -hmm. that does not stop. I mean, they steal concepts and themes and designs and actual shots. Right, so mm-hmm. it, uh, many of our listeners have probably seen the film uh, Star Wars, um, I've, that they, or they've that, heard of it at least. <laughs> that opening shot, a little film, yeah. The the Imperial Star Destroyer is just this huge crawl down the top of the screen. Right, it, we we see the little ship, and then the big ship that just completely blocks off the entire third of the screen as it keeps going and going and going and it's shooting at the ship and it all the way until it pulls in front and we can see the great big, you know, engines at the back of it. They rip that off right in the beginning of this and they don't Mm do, um, the same sort of patented, um, horizon like scroll, but they do have a scroll right at the beginning that, so it's right from the beginning. And they're like, well, somebody saw star Wars. Cause there's this huge ship and this is on the left side of the screen instead of the top <laughs> of the screen. Yeah. But it's, it's just so obviously the same, like they are angling. Like if you like that movie, you're going to love this movie. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is just so on the nose and And this is like thirty years later i I just can't imagine or more than that. I just can't imagine that at the time I don't know I don't know it just it's they 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 didn't they stitched a bunch of stuff together and they didn't try particularly hard to hide the fact that they had done it mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. then they have this big sweeping um score. That's like this orchestral score that is absolutely not John Williams by any stretch of the imagination. It's utterly forgettable. I think it's James Horner. Um but it's still going. It, it's it's it, it's trying to, you know, it's in that ballpark. It's it's yeah. trying to evoke that same like pa you know, in space. And you're kind of like, okay, so man. Okay, back to it. So well, just one more thing I'll say before I let you back up. So, yeah. Kroll is a medieval planet, right? Krull is really closer to the Lord of the Rings than Tatooine, yes. right? I mean, it is there's swamps and giant spiders and a cyclops and tree people, right? So it's it's a magical um uh, planet of mythical Monsters that feel familiar to us from the Knights of the Round Table and Sir Gawain and, and the Cyclops, right? It's just a big mishmash of like not sci fi fantasy. But then here comes this giant spaceship that happens to look like a mountain, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. even look like a spaceship, it looks like a mountain. So when it lands on the planet, it looks like the Dark Towers, it looks like the Dark Mountain, right? Yeah. And I'm not saying you take a sci-fi movie and you think about it too hard, but this is like hard not to, you're like, wait a minute, the spaceship looks like a mountain. Why? <laughs> you know, I mean, mm-hmm. why, why? Apparently. So rather than just have a medieval fantasy planet with a dark Lord that they have to overthrow, this is a space beast, space, dark Lord that Mm -hmm. enslaves planet after planet. And nobody on this planet seems particularly phased by the fact that these guys are aliens. Mm -hmm. Nobody even mentions it, right? And they seem to have a a cosmic awareness. I feel like somebody's like, the beast has enslaved other worlds. And you're like, other worlds? Like, uh, you guys are at a time period where you should still be thinking that the celestial bodies, uh, you know... Revolve around your planet, like what you, mm-hmm. or is, and and then, and then okay. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going down a huge rabbit hole. So then, all of the pseudo stormtroopers of the bad guy they ride around on horses too. So they've got yeah. laser guns on horseback. Oh man! I mean, it, and this is just the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. This is just the beginning. Anyway, so go ahead, proceed. And, and I, so that, I, I, was, I, I
2: that was that was one of the big questions I had for you it's like 95% fantasy Lord of the Rings type movie and like 5% science fiction. So what was the point in even having the science fiction aspect of it other than to be like, hey, the kids love Star Wars. You know what I mean? It was like, why are you on another planet and everybody's human basically and everybody rides horses and it's exactly, you know what I mean? It's exactly like the Middle Ages on Earth why would this planet be, it's a different planet, but it's everything's just exactly like Earth in the Middle Ages? That didn't make any sense to me, you
1: know? I think you nailed, I think you answered your own question, though, is they just wanted to try and tie it to Star Wars fever. And they use...
2: Like regular metal swords and the only thing that, you know, it was almost like, ah, we can't use lightsabers because we'll get sued. So what if we have the metal swords and when they clang together, there's like red electricity on them? You know, that was, that can be the science fiction part. Right. And like
1: lightsabers have been done. So we need to have, you know, pew, 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 pew. We need to have. um,
2: And then they had the stormtrooper guys that had, they didn't really have like blasters or guns. They were kind of like sticks that shot blue laser bolts out of them, you know? So it was, that seemed just very tacked on that. It was like, we're basically doing Lord of the Rings, but we want to have a sci-fi tiny twist to it. I don't know. But anyway, so. You have the, the, the bad guys come, and they kill everybody in the kingdom except for the main dude who is Colwyn, and he's played by, uh, his name's Ken Marshall. And I kept thinking, this guy looks kind of like a young Harrison Ford. You know? He almost looks like Harrison Ford in Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, he had like the same hair color and everything. and well, the they definitely
1: build. are going for the same archetypes. Yeah. Right? You've got the young hair. I mean, and this isn't, you know... Movies do this. You have a young handsome hero. You have an ingenue princess. What that? So that Star Wars does not have, um, you know, a corner on that market. But there's the old wise wizard. You know, there's um, there's the comic relief a guy. There's the the larger than life silent you know sidekick that's <laughs> always there in a pinch. Um, this one's got a kid in it. You uh-huh. know which. But but so instead of R two D two and C three P O, you've got this sort of wise cracking, you know, British. I guess he's a magician. It's always the spells are always. And that guy, wrong. that yeah. guy looked.
2: His his name was Ergo, and I thought he looked like um, uh, he was like Eric Idle's less successful brother, Derek Idle. <laughs> you know, the guy he looked he looked like a like
1: a busted. Uh, Eric Idle, you know, I and thought. he's clearly the comic relief, but he's not funny. No, I mean, and he's he, a having the shots like,
0: but it, you know,
1: the, they're, they're none of these laughs are landing. No, so instead of R2DT, you got the kid, doesn't really have any lines, but the pair of them are running around bonding, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got the kind of It's not just Han Solo. It's kind of a rogue of rebel. It's a kind of a band of rebels. So Mm -hmm. you could say that the leader is the Han Solo bad boy character. You could say that um, Liam Neeson is the sort of... But they're all kind of Han Solos. It's this kind of band Mm -hmm. of ragtag toughs, um, smuggler types. And it's just... uh, I I had the same exact thought. Like, if you're not trying to stuff it into a Star Wars mold, why introduce any of the space stuff at all? Or why not just take all of these ripoffs from the model that you thought was so successful in Star Wars and just have it be a fantasy film? Yeah. Maybe, they, maybe because they felt they had to bill it as sci-fi because fantasy movies have a long, you know, pre-Lord of the Rings, uh, fantasy movies have a, a really a strong reputation for just being money losers. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So they had, to they wanted to do a fantasy movie, but they had to call it science fiction. So it's on another planet. And the, the dark Lord is actually the beast from space.
2: Hmm. Yeah. And they even took from, um, you know, it was definitely pretty heavy Lord of the Rings, but I, it also it was King Arthur to a degree. Cause there's mm-hmm. the scene where he goes to the cave and he's got to get the glaive and the glaive yep. is now. Right. Is it's a not glaver. a sword in a its,
1: it's a glaive in the lava <laughs> and he
2: gets it out of the lava. Yeah. Nobody else could get it, but him, you know, and uh, there maybe was some, even kind of some dune stuff in there somewhere. I don't know. But they, like you said, it was just a whole big, you know, mishmash of, of all these different things. But I did feel like, like I said, early on, I was just like, ah, I don't know about this, but once, oh, and there's an, an OB one too, Yanir, yep. I think is his name. The old guy that, yep. that tells him, you know, you got to be the King now. And he tells him to go to the cave, you know, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. So once they hook up with these other guys, uh, Liam Neeson and the, the comic relief guy, and then he had the Cyclops, every, the Cyclops looked so funny.
0: Yep. <laughs> you know, that, yeah. and, yep.
2: And every time he would do anything, I would laugh, you know, and so they hook up and then it started to pick up. I I have to admit, I had to watch this in two viewings because I fell asleep about uh, maybe an hour in and it's two hours long, um, which is a bit much. But but it does pick up when he you know, when they get together with these guys and then it's the um, the fortress. Oh, so here's another question I had. So the princess is captured. She's in the fortress. Right. And the part that they have her in looked like the inside of, like it was going to be a giant snake's mouth or a dragon's mouth. Did you, there were teeth in there. Did there you pick up on all, that?
1: All, there were all kinds of different design elements going on. in this So park. I was
2: like, and then they oh. never showed the, really the outside of it, but then it's just they're inside this mountain. So I didn't, I thought that was kind of neat that, you know, it's, oh, she's going to be inside, you know, they're going to pan out at some point and be like, oh, she's inside this giant dragon skeleton or something. But that never seemed to happen. So I was a little,
1: that didn't make a lot of sense to me. Before, you know, before we tear it up too much, I will say that there is a lot of really, really interesting and original feeling stuff in it. Mm -hmm. It's not all, this is not a, hmm. It is too long and it's plotting, but I mean, there was a bunch of stuff that I was like, Oh, I totally forgot that, you know? And as much as I like to chew it up and be like, can you believe this baloney? The uh, visual uh, effects were pretty cool. The design, the scenic design and the kind of world building they did. Like when he climbs up the mountain that supposedly nobody can climb to the top of to get the glaive, it's a long scene, mm-hmm. uh, many, many different shots of him, a, a guy, him climbing just by hand, just climbing the mountain. Most of the time they're like, OK, we can go up that way. And then it sort of wipes to them being at the top of the mountain, being like, that was a hard climb But they show him climbing the mountain. And not only is the design of it really underscoring the fact that it's like, yeah, uh, that doesn't look like a mountain people would be able of casually climbing. Uh, there's some really cool sort of world building going on there. And Mm -hmm. that is true throughout. There's a giant spider and the giant spiders. I want to talk about the giant spider thing at some point. Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely. And there's a swamp that feels original. It doesn't feel like Dagobah. You know, it feels like its own Mm -hmm. swamp on its own world. So this planet of Krull feels like a real place with, you know, extreme zones you know with with uh you know it's a wild planet an untamed planet of dangerous places um and and i think that those things are real things like why is the thing a glaive i have no idea like that just you know everyone else has a sword why does he have a glaive so he can like it, it just seemed absurd to me but um I will say that there's easily as much in here to admire and that leaves an impression on you uh as there is like corny stuff that we're gonna have a good time shredding,
2: yeah, I agree. I definitely would have been into this when I was a kid if I'd seen this you know at ten years old or something like that i I think I would have liked it a lot,
1: well, the seer, the blind seer that was that he was intense mm-hmm. and then there's I mean there's just a lot going on in in the movie, Uh, but it's like, it's not that great a movie, like in terms of a movie, if you define a movie as, you know, it's a, a, a moving, it's a picture told through a story told through pictures in which, you know, an effect to be effective, you have to care about the main characters and you have to be invested in their success and concerned about the possibility of their failure. I think it fails <laughs> in that regard. And that's too bad because there's so much interesting stuff going on here that at the end of it, you're kind of like, why didn't I enjoy that more? It it just wasn't, you know, the funny parts weren't funny. The scary parts were sometimes scary, especially if you're remembering it's a kid's movie. Mm-hmm. The cool parts were frequently pretty cool. And, you know, there was a lot of original design and and neat looking stuff, but it kept being kind of undercut. Like he finds this cool glaive and he holds it up and then he goes shing and little blades pop out of it. And at first you're like, cool. But then, then you're like, so what do you do with this? Well, you flow and you throw and it kind of flies around. And he can control it with his mind. And you're like, what? <laughs> you know? And a lot of the things in this movie do that. You end up with a kind of a So the beast is like, he wants the princess because he wants to marry her. And he's gross looking. I mean, he is clearly an alien. I liked the design of him. I thought he was cool. Yes. But he's got this rich, baritone, Darth Vader-y kind of voice where he's Mm -hmm. like, you will be my bride. He's like, what? You come to the planet Crawl? You can't think she's pretty. You look like a lobster that's been ripped (laughs) out of its right you know, yeah. are there no female beasts yeah I why just, is he attracted why her? do you want her to be your exactly and it's not like about it's not about crushing the will of these people or bending that you know or keeping her as a pet or a prisoner no he seems amorously right he's um he, he, he's competing for her love with the hero yeah and you're like the 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 thought that that she would ever be capable of love you're you're Terrifying and hideous. You're literally a a, a horrible monster.
0: Uh-huh.
1: But he's making his case. He's like, I will give you. It's like it's not going to happen, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, it's just, it's, <laughs> why does he want her? And and the the archaic use of like my bride, your bride.
0: oh God, yeah. what are you? You know yeah, what I mean. Be, so mm-hmm, it's like the yeah.
1: whole movie is shot for like what, you're from space and you conquer these planets. Why are you here on this planet talking like one of the medieval, like that's the way the evil Duke would, you know, but you're not, you're the space beast from, I just,
2: and he sends and a
1: Like what, what is happening here?
2: And he sends a, a like a woman to uh, try to um, seduce the main guy. And then shows like an image to, the princess and be like look you know he's trying to hook up with this other girl now right. you know, now you will love me
1: <laughs> you know it, it was just like well okay how is that gonna work and this and so his his uh castle aka spaceship aka you know mountain. dark mountain mm-hmm. is like dracula's castle every day it just fades out and fades in at another place on the planet right yeah so part of the problem we yeah, got like we gotta, gotta go get her back um, but well, we don't know where it's going to be, right? So unless it happens to appear right in front of you, you'll never find this place. And then they, the big part of the movie is them trying to figure out some some wizard or witch who can sort of tell them, see the future enough to tell them where it's going to be so they can start heading there um, and get there in time before it vanishes again. So this is a, a antagonist, who either has the magic or the technology or whatever you want to call it to, you know, faster than light interspace travel, move uh, his giant mountain teleportation. around teleportation. <laughs> exactly. And he's doing these old, like here, put on this mask and go pretend to be a serving wench. And I want you to seduce the guy and then write it and do that at six o'clock. Cause then I want to have some sort of weird magic camera that we never explain. So this, I can, I'll just conjure the vision in her head. Like, if you can conjure a vision in her head, why do you even need a woman? You know what I'm saying? It's just like, mm-hmm. just make her hallucinate. You don't you don't need an actual woman there, like actually trying to seduce this guy. Just use your superior alien tech. It's just.
2: Or just enslave her. You know what I mean? It's just
1: exactly. like, you know,
2: you're this evil it's, beast that's going to kill, you know, wipe planets out and things like that. Just make her your slave.
1: Exactly, and his castle, when they do manage to invade the castle, is full of these sort of um, reason-defying death traps. Like there's a room or a hallway where a bunch of spikes just kind of come out of the wall, and you don't know if someone designed this room or if the the entire castle is just sort of subject to the beast's... I kind of like this interpretation better. This The entire castle is just kind of subject to the beast's subconscious in a way, right? Mm-hmm. So spikes just kind of grow out of the wall where he senses intruders are or something. But that never gets explained. The castle's just an incredibly perilous and deadly place. Um, and a lot of people die in this movie, right? Mm-hmm. People get impaled on the spikes. There's a guy that goes down in quicksand that I remember being really upsetting as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people get lost in the in the path to this and it's not like you think he goes in there and you think he's gonna pull him out of the quicksand he doesn't the guy goes under and it's really upsetting Mm -hmm. to a kid i mean i i was okay but (laughs) yeah but it's like there's really cool stuff like the spider's den. You know, and the woman that he used to love, the the old man used to love, and the, the at the center of the spider's den and the so sort of
2: Let me ask the, you, I want to ask you a question about that. Okay. So the dude, the Obi-Wan guy, Yanir or whatever, you know, all the guys are hanging out and he's like, Hey guys, I gotta go take care of something. And so he leaves and goes in this cave where there's a giant spider, and then there is his his wife, and she lives in the giant spider web. And so he goes in and he talks to her and her name is Lissa, just like the, the princess. So for a couple mm-hmm. of minutes there, I was completely confused. So I was like, isn't, I was like, isn't Lissa the princess? This woman is named Lissa or is this her? And then there he's like, there's a second Lissa. Did that make any sense? What was the I point think of that? It's
1: just supposed to- a coincidence, okay. So uh, it's just I'll like say, there's
2: two people named John or, or something, it's just but I was yes. like, that's that's bad screenwriting to give two people the same name, you know. And uh,
1: no, I think uh, so. So, so th- they need to figure out where the castle's gonna land and they need some heavy magic users, some like wizard level 11 mm-hmm. talent. And they go to the Emerald Seer who's blind and he's. Very Gandalfian, right? And he's but he's going to help him out. But the Beast f- sends a mimic who kills him, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then they're leading the mimic around, and the mimic is going to kill the prince. But the Cyclops shows up, and oh, it turns out the Cyclopses are actually from another planet, and the Beast enslaves. It's just so unnecessarily baroque, but. Mm-hmm.
2: And there's this one Cyclops, right? Do we, do we ever see another Cyclops?
1: We don't see another one. There's not yeah. just one Cyclops, but you only ever see one on this, on right, this yeah. movie.
2: And he just hangs out he's, with these humans. sort of people. implies he's
1: the last one or yeah. I don't know, but, um, he's a sort of a mystical Chewbacca. So <laughs> yeah, we we've got, except he speaks, um, so they're like, well, that was the Emerald Seer. Like, he was going to be the one who was going to tell us how to find the place. And then the old guy is like, well, there is there is one other person who might be able to tell us. But I'll probably die trying. But I don't have any choice. I'll get a shot. So then he goes to see the Lady of the Webs or whatever they call her. Mm-hmm. And there's this sort of giant... Um, cave he gets up in there and it's full of spider webs and there's a giant white spider that's all uh, stop motion like Harryhausen it's really cool I, I really
2: liked I thought that was that was one of my favorite parts of the whole movie
1: yeah and the design of it there's this little you know at the center of the web which is not a two-dimensional web it's a three-dimensional web so the webs are going out to all, and in the center there's this little ball with a door with a with sort of a hole in it. And that in, in there is a woman sitting in an old woman sitting in a chair. So he starts hand over handing going out towards it. And the spider feels the vibration is coming to kill him. And he calls out her name and she recognizes his voice. And she says, she has this big hourglass that's full of red sand. And she turns it over and she says, you have the time you know, I will give you this time. And the spider stops. The spider can't kill him, apparently, while she does that little contingency or whatever. That mm-hmm. gives him enough time to get in there with her. And she sort of is like, you know, well, it won't do you any good because I can only turn it over once. And I did. So you'll never get out of here. Um And he convinces her part of the part of the thing he uses to convince her is that the other princess has the same name. And apparently they were lovers and he left. And I don't remember why he left, but she was pregnant and he didn't know. Mm -hmm. So in her grief, she killed the baby. And her punishment was to be it doesn't say who punished her or by what power, but her punishment was to be. You know, in this kind of Greek, woman. yeah, like like the like it feels like a. There's a strong element of the Greek myths in here too. Like one of the gods would have cooked up this scenario for mm-hmm. her. Yeah, um, and that's
2: a, this just popped into my head. Some of the some of this is Clash of the Titans too. Absolutely, you no, know? she's almost like Medusa or something. You
1: know, absolutely, and so he convinces her to help. And she says, um, uh, well, there's no, like, it'll kill us both, basically. I could tell you, but that'll be the end for both of us. And he sort of convinces her for the sake of their love. So she smashes the uh, hourglass and pours the sand into his hands. And she says, your life will end when the sand runs out. He's like, I can't stop it. And she's like, yeah, well, that's it. I mean. (laughs) I don't know what you you better get going right so um the spider apparently won't come after him as long as he's got that red sand yeah and he 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 hustles back to them and and we sort of hear the spider then goes to get her and we hear her scream and um he manages just manages to make it back to the camp where the last grains of sand are falling out of his hands. And he's like, the castle will appear in the red desert at dawn. And they all rush up to him. And as the last sand comes out, he dies. So I thought that was all pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed that part. Yeah. But then they know where it is and they're like, well, how are we going to get there? It's a thousand leagues away. And then they're like fire horses. They can travel a thousand leagues. I kept
2: thinking of them as the fire crutches. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Exactly. What? No giant, no giant eagles to come and take you where you need to be. So they, they're basically regular horses that these big they're big like Clydesdales. Yes, but these yeah. these whatever, these I suppose they turn out to be excellent horse whisperers too. They manage to subdue, even though these things can run a thousand right. They're all it's a whole herd of shadow faxes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they but somehow they manage to capture them and they mount them and ride them. And, you know, so there's this thing of, it's like flying over the landscape, the sequence with. And that reminded me
2: of that remind when they're, so they, they run really fast and there's like flames coming up and then they jump across, you know, there's a big chasm or whatever and they jump across and they're flying. Yep. And it was exactly like every Christmas movie that you've ever seen where Santa Claus is on the (laughs) sleigh.
1: It was exactly like that. Bingo, 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 bingo. Yeah. This, this movie is like, let's look at every single <laughs> shot that has worked with kids in mm-hmm. the history of motion pictures and yeah. we'll figure out a way to stuff it into this movie. So they get there right before the thing fades and they climb up the mountain and there's a bunch of stormtroopers. Oh, I'm sorry, Slayers shooting down at them. But they and in fairness, those
2: guys them. looked pretty neat. They were they, yeah. they were pretty cool design. You know, none of this is, you know, here's one thing that I I kept thinking while watching this movie is you know because it kept making me think of star wars and i thought what a miracle honestly it is that star the original star wars which was you know a pretty low budget movie and you know made by a not totally unknown filmmaker but you know nobody wanted to make the movie you know all that what a miracle it is that that movie turned out as great as it did because this was a movie aping Star Wars, and now, forty years later, or whatever you know it's we're kind of picking it apart. it's not terrible, but you can just see how you know you you Star Wars was just apparently this this perfect combination of a guy with a vision and these really incredible designers and Special effects guys and everything, yeah, that all came together to make this amazing film that everybody still loves forty years later. It's not a great script.
1: Go back and watch Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's, a lot of the dialogue is really corny and clunky, and the acting is hammy. But the actors have this incredible chemistry, right? Mm -hmm. They all. The, the chemistry between the actors and you care you care about luke skywalker and you you want to save leia i mean you know you you're really into it and obi-wan and and the world although they say well it's really the white knight goes to save the princess in the tower you're like sure every story has already been told and there's only five stories whatever mm-hmm the world of star Wars as implausible as like, there's no sound in space and a laser sword. What are you talking? Right. And we won't even get to midi-chlorians, but it's enormously specific, right? It's not vague. It's not blurry. You could ask George Lucas, like who are the Jawa? And he would be able to answer you. Like that's yeah. not answered in the movie, but he could tell you all about the Jawa and how their society evolved. Right. And you can roll your eyes and say, what a nerd. But that level of specificity, I think, comes through in the film. And even in the J.J. Abrams sort of revamping of the last three Skywalker um, things, there is a lot of gesturing to style, like a little hammer-headed thing will pop its head up out of the sand and look around, Mm -hmm. and that'll feel very familiar to Star Wars. But it still doesn't have the specificity. Like, if you asked... J.J. Abrams, what was that? He couldn't, he'd be like, oh, it's like in that scene in Star Wars, right? you can feel that when you watch the movie. You're like, but George Lucas would have known the name of that species and its feeding habits. Like, I think that, you know, he's kind of on the spectrum that way. Like he really had this stuff, even if he was making up as it goes along, if an actor shooting the thing was like, now why am I doing this? Then George Lucas would, Be able to say to them like, no, this is hard part of a bigger tapestry, Mm -hmm. and I think I I would say that you feel that in those films. You feel that specificity. That was one of the reasons it got its hooks in me so deep. Um, But but that conveys all the way, like the sound of the laser blast. You had I remember watching a thing where it's guys up on this sort of mountain ravine, and they're like tapping a a cable that spans the ravine with a wrench to get that pew pew. You know, and they're like recording it. They wanted to get just the right sound. You know, they they were searching for just the right sound for those laser blasts. Mm-hmm. And I just think that this movie, some of it, some of the design it has that kind of integrity where you're like, look at that shot or or the design of some of the rooms in the in the beast's castle spaceship really felt otherworldly and interstellar and really interesting, Mm -hmm. right? There's totally different design than anything else you'd seen on the planet. And you're clear, like somebody really, a lot of it, very theatrical, like somebody really took their assignment very seriously here. And the director was kind of like, Ooh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's just making this big gumbo of stuff. Right. It doesn't have some overarching vision. Like, I remember when we saw Star Wars, it was like episode four. (laughs) You know, like, what are you? He had three episodes in his mind ahead of this and more after it. Yeah. This is just like Crawl. Like, wait, what? I didn't even remember that Crawl is the name of the planet. Oh,
2: and yeah, that was... So, and that was another...
1: Dave Crawl is the bad guy. Crawl, who's Crawl?
2: Exactly. I was and thinking the Kroll. same thing Kroll. all through it. I was like, well, yeah, what is Crawl?" And and it wasn't until I looked at that synopsis that that I was like, "Oh, Crawl is the planet." Yeah, because I kept thinking of the guy, except when they would say his name, Colwyn or whatever. I always thought I would just think of him as Mister Crawl in my in my head, you know, <laughs> Johnny Crawl, so, Johnny Crawl. But yeah, I think that's the the difference. But and you know, George Lucas, and you know, he admits all of this. You know, he had all of his influences, Flash Gordon and Akira Kurosawa, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But I think it's the difference between, you know, it's almost kind of like Quentin Tarantino. All of his movies, he's stealing from other movies that he loved, but he's taking it and putting it together in an artful way. And that was the same thing that George Lucas did with Star Wars. He was taking, you know, and I'm sure there were shot for shot things that he took from some old serial or, you know, a Japanese movie or whatever that he loved. But it's the difference between with this movie feels like it was made by committee where it was just like, OK, we we got to have, you know, we got to take this from Star Wars and we got to take this from Lord of the Rings. And and, you know, we got to take this from Clash of the Titans or whatever. I don't know if Clash of the Titans was out at this point, but you know what I mean? It, it just. uh um, it's just and like it's a right collection. It's just lead, like a collection of scenes and set pieces.
1: Yes, and some of which are good. Yeah, and memorable. But it doesn't ever quite come together. And I, I just, I don't think the lead is a bad actor. I don't. No, wish he's him fine. Else, but I didn't. He was not the beating heart and soul of the movie for me. Like I didn't care. Um, you know, I they picked a guy that they thought looked good, and he kind of does the movie right mm-hmm. I think he did have he had decent chemistry with the princess their scenes together seemed like you know that that they genuinely cared about each other and they were but then they're almost immediately separated and you don't see them together the entire movie until the very end yeah and then there's this final showdown with the beast and it doesn't really go anywhere and the guy only wins because of this magic glaive it's like um, end boss scene of a video game. The beast is this big thing and these sort of just vague fireball energy things kind of shoot out of his mouth and they kind of jump out of the way. And, and, and the hero throws this little glaive that's like a little cursor flying around through the air, coming and going, and manages finally to get past the beast's fireballs. And, st- you know, it made me think of Donkey Kong or mm-hmm. something. It's yeah, like- yeah. Uh, And then, and then there's a, there's a very predictable jump scare where the beast isn't quite dead or something, but then they get him and,
2: and, you know, the glaive itself is a big missed opportunity because that is, everything that I knew about the movie basically was the glaive. And like on the, you know, the cover art, like I was referencing at the beginning, I remember from a kid thinking like, wow, that's a really cool weapon. And that is the glaive is apparently like a symbol of their kingdom because they have that design on, right. you know, they have the thing in the beginning where there's the, uh, it's almost like a baptismal font or something, the thing with water yeah. and they put their hands in there and a flame comes out. Well, that has the, the glaive design in it and they've got necklaces with it and everything. And then that, what, how much of it is is it in the movie for maybe a couple of minutes? you know, probably total, maybe five minutes altogether. They don't do very much with it. And it's kind of what the whole, it would be like the lightsaber not being used in the star Wars movies, except very sparingly.
1: Well, it's even bigger than that because it is, it is, um,
2: or King Arthur not using his Excalibur.
1: It is Excalibur. Yeah. Yeah, Right. I was going to say it's Lord of the Rings where they reforge the sword, but you know, if you've seen the Lord of the Rings movie, um, they reforged the sword of the king, and every time there's a number of times where he like holds up the sword, and like the the king of the spirit world or whoever was like recognizes it. You know, he's like that blade was broken. You know, and there's all this recognition of like you're not the king, you're just some. And then he holds up the sword that was shattered and is now reforged, and that proves that he is the one true king, and that. It, it, that is Excalibur, right? Mm. Nobody could get that magic sword out of the stone. Exactly. Or I guess it was the Lady of the Lake. I don't know. I confuse those older. Yeah. His lady, um, uh, yeah those lady. But, yeah. but the, the sword is the provident. The sword is the proof. Like only the true king could hold the sword. So it's like when he shows the glaive, there's a little bit like, holy quacks, you get that thing. But it really should be this incredible symbol of like, Mm -hmm. nobody can do that. That's insane. And you're like, well, how are we going to do it? We'll do it with this. And everybody falls to their knees. Like the magic thing. Like that's the unobtainable weapon. Mm I agree. And they, they do it in the promotional stuff, but the movie doesn't tie it together. I mean, I've said this before. You gotta, you gotta come back to the director. This is just a failure of the direct because they did a good job hiring all these designers or whatever. You get the script that you've got. But once you've got the script and you're shooting, uh, the director has carte blanche to, you know, leave stuff out or pad stuff in or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and and the director's job is to bring it all together and make a finished thing, not just direct the performances and direct where the camera goes, but tie it all together. And this is a, a big mess. Mm-hmm. Of some really cool stuff, yes, a lot of it is heavily derivative, but a lot of things are heavily derivative mm-hmm. uh This one feels derivative of many more things than usual, but oh, for sure, but the director just wasn't able to to tie it all up in a nice big bow that felt like one thing that was like better than all the parts, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, so i mean yeah i we're and we're kind of getting to the end of time we're about 45 minutes into it um are there other do you have other burning uh parts of the thing I mean I think we kind of yeah
2: I think those covered. were most of the yeah most of the questions that I had I was confused about the Alyssa thing and and I was I, I, I was glad that I didn't miss something with crawl that you know what crawl even meant because I didn't know if you know th- throughout it I was like, is it the planet? Is it the dude? Is Krull the bad guy? You know, and then later it's like, no, he's the beast. Um, Yeah. So it it definitely, as you were saying, the problem is with the director. This just feels like, as we, you know, we harped on Star Wars. Star Wars was obviously a guy that had a vision for what he wanted to do. Um, And this appears not to be that. It was just, you know, a bunch of stuff thrown together and not a clear idea of what it was supposed to be.
1: Well, the thing with science fiction, I mean, you're a science fiction fan and a fantasy Mm -hmm. fan. So am I. Um, And the really great stuff to me just comes down to specificity, right? Mm -hmm. Even if it's not on the page, when you know, somebody says, so, OK, so I'm a Blade Runner. What? what, what you know, and the director needs to be able to be like, OK, well, a Blade Runner is it's like a PI, but you're more elite and it's a more dangerous thing. Right. I mean, the director needs to be able to unpack that. There needs to be specificity there, even if it isn't explicitly explained in the script, because if 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 that doesn't happen, then the actor just makes his or her own choices. And those can be vague or specific. Right. But when you're watching Blade Runner or Star Wars or reading Tolkien or watching Tolkien or Dune, those great science fiction or or the Thomas um, Gibson stuff, the Mm -hmm. Neuromancer. I mean, Johnny Mnemonic was not a great movie, Mm -hmm. but. Um, I loved reading those books because of this incredible specificity of the world building. And some of it can feel a little bit stale as decades have gone by, but a lot of the really, really specific stuff still stands up because they were world building at a granular level that sustained zooming in on particular details of it. Mm -hmm. Right. And maybe like... I think I'm not alone. I think many other people were disappointed with some of the like the prequel movies or whatever, mm-hmm. but not because the world wasn't specific. I didn't like the execution of it. Yes, exactly. Like that's
2: the that's the spot on with the word there execution.
1: That they spent they leaned so heavily on CGI, and then at one point, Guaganjin and Obi Wan go into it's literally a diner. It looks like a fifties diner. From, you know, they're on Coruscant, and they mm. go into a space diner, and it's a big alien who looks like a big alien. He's all CGI, and he's wearing like literally a greasy wife beater.
0: Mm. And he's, oh, I don't get a
1: lot of Jedi in here. You're like, what is happening? <laughs> you know, this this doesn't feel like Star Wars. There was a cantina. I get it. It's a space bar. Don't think about it too hard. It's full of crazy creatures, right? Mm-hmm. They go into a like a chrome. A, a a space diner out of 1950s earth i'm like what mm-hmm. it just felt insane right but coruscant an entire planet that's the sort of city is the capital like that's a that's a specific idea and the jedi temple and like all of the stuff that he has started sketching out You know, I think any he needed somebody to come in and say, no, that doesn't make sense. Or maybe we leave the midi is, you know, when we start talking about midi-chlorians and explaining the force. Yeah, it's you know, you'd think there'd be some technology. How do the Jedi recognize it? Like, I don't know, can't they just kind of use the force to recognize it? Like if you start trying to bridge the gap between the technical and the mystical you're going to get to a place where the rubber actually hits the road and it's not satisfying, right? Because and that's always
2: been my theory that by that point, by the, uh, by the prequels point, Lucas was surrounded by yes men. There wasn't anybody to tell him, and eh, this isn't, you know, cause he needed an editor. He, he had lots of great ideas, but he had with those, especially they weren't
1: all great
0: ideas. <laughs> they weren't
2: all great ideas. And especially with star Wars and, Empire, he had people working with him who would say, no, don't do this. You know, this isn't a good idea. Um, I think maybe we talked about this on an, another episode, but he had a guy named Gary Kurtz, who was one of the executive producers on the first two. And uh, he they kind of parted ways before Return of the Jedi. And with Jedi, instead of the Ewoks, they were supposed to go to the Wookiee planet. And um, Lucas, they didn't have the budget for it, or, you know, it was going to be some problem. And Lucas was like, well, we'll just make them little, you know, teddy bear guys. And, you know, that Gary Kurtz was like, ah, that's a dumb idea. And, but, but by that point, you know, he was, they'd parted ways. So I just think once he got to the the prequels, it was as he was just able to do whatever he wanted to do. And all like you said, all the yeah. ideas weren't great
1: and i have a i have a whole thesis on practical effects versus cgi which i think mm-hmm. i probably bored you with and our listeners no. with at other podcasts but i just think that yoda is the perfect example puppet yoda if it's frank oz's voice who and he's a genius but frank oz is a puppeteer man give me give me puppet yoda any day of the week yeah can i see it's a puppet sure i can see it's a puppet like but i'm i'm on board Like the puppet has personality. Mm -hmm. CGI inherently has no personality. There's no personality. There's no imagination of the puppeteer. There's no imagination of the viewer. It's just somebody designed it and and somebody else said that looks great. And it looks 100% not real.
2: And you look 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 at the Mandalorian now. You look at the Mandalorian now with Baby Yoda. And they're doing practical...
1: look at the popularity of baby oh, Yoda. I yeah. I would say that if baby Yoda was CGI that would not be the case.
2: No. But they're combining practical and uh, and CG, you know, they're using CG to kind of like Jurassic Park, you know, 25 years ago or whatever. Yeah. They're they're using CG uh, along with the practical and you can't you can't tell. I mean, you watch it and you're like, they're what's using what's the CG puppet and what's the
1: just kind of spackle over stuff. They yeah. use CG to kind of patch things up. And that's great. That's great. I'm not saying abolish CG. Like, if you in looking at it in post, and you're like, I, we need to... I would never say... Uh, you can't change the contrast digitally in post. That's cheating. You know, of course, it's going to look more dramatic if we up the contrast a little. Get those darks deeper and richer. Get those whites to pop a little more. It's the same thing. It's like, oh, you can... Just for two or three frames there, you can see the puppeteer's hand. Well, take it out. Use CG to, you know, erase that puppeteer's hand.
2: Have but- you heard the story with um, Werner Her- Her- Herzog, uh, you know, is in some of the episodes of The Mandalorian, and they said, uh, I don't know if it was an article or it was an actual interview, but they said they there was a scene in the first season where he was, you know, going to be with Baby Yoda, And they said, um, you know, they'd made the puppet and everything. So the puppet was there and, you know, he's looking at the puppet or whatever, talking to it or whatever. And they're like, okay, now uh, this next part, it's just going to be CG. So we're not going to do any puppetry for that. And he got kind of mad and was like, no, they made this amazing puppet. I don't, this should not be CG. I want to work with. And so they filmed, you know, just because he basically demanded it, they filmed these additional scenes that were supposed to be CG with him and the puppet Baby Yoda, which I thought was, you know, that he's kind of a crazy
1: man. So I thought that was, yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: I thought that was a great. uh I think it's so interesting that he's acting now because I think he, I think and he that they got utterly, him to be in this, you know, I think um, he is utterly wooden on screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's a brilliant director. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Grizzly Man is one of like my favorite films. Mm-hmm. It's insane, mm-hmm. but um but watching him act, you know, he was in a was he in one of the Tom Cruise movies or oh he was in like a Jack Reacher movie and his his delivery is so flat and strained. <laughs> <laughs> I like yeah he's in Jack you Reacher. Can't, you can't do and, and some people are gonna love him and they're gonna hate this opinion, but I I just not an actor Mm-mm. in my book, Werner Herzog, not an actor, great director, visionary director. Okay. So what do you think? Uh, thumbs up? or You recommend this one or no? So
2: like I was saying at the beginning, I started out and was like, uh, this is going to be a major thumbs down, but as it, it, it kind of, as you'd say it, it, it kind of got its hooks in me. And, and as it, I enjoyed it more as it went along and, so I would say it's a tepid thumbs up. You know, I would say people who um, like eighties fantasy uh, films, but you've not seen this one before it's worth watching. It's as we said, it's a, it's too long. It's slow. And again, I don't know if this is just our ADHD brains now. Like if we, you know, when I was 10, would this have seemed slow to me? I don't know. Um, but definitely even that spider scene that I enjoyed, it was just like, wow, how long is it going to take this guy to get across, you know, to the, to the woman. But so it's, there's enough about it to, to say a marginal thumbs up. I would say it's, it's not at the level of some of the, you know, what I think of as the best, uh, fantasy movies of the time. Um, well, it's been years and years since I've seen it and, you know, we'll, we definitely should watch it at some point on the show, but like Clash of the Titans, you know, I don't think it's at a a level of that. Um, or, you know, definitely not any of the Star Wars movies that it's 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 kind of being better. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's, you know, if you don't see it, you're not missing out on anything, but for people that, that like this kind of thing, it's, it's worth checking out, I'd say.
1: I agree. I wish I wish there was an available edit that was like an eighty or ninety minute edit of this, where they cut a lot of the bloat. Mm-hmm. It still wouldn't be as good as Clash of the Titans, but there is enough really interesting and original design and concept stuff in this that I think if you're like when you said you hadn't seen it, I got excited cuz I'm mm-hmm. like, "Oh, you got you got to see Crawl. Not you're going to love Crawl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You got to you got to see Crawl cuz we got to talk about what in the heck is
2: going on with this movie. Well, and that's the thing about it, it's not like it's a um I'm trying to think of an example of something that would be a fantasy movie that would that would fall into this category. But it's not a so bad it's it's good movie it's right. not you know there's an it's it's well done enough that you're not just like oh that was just a giant turkey you know it's uh um it's not that kind of movie it's it's good enough but it's not like you're gonna sit and watch it with friends and just crack up at everything the The Cyclops is funny because he just looks goofy and isn't very well you know realized but but nothing else too much about it other than just like all you know this is an obvious green screen when they're flying around on the fire crotch horses Um, but you know does that make sense
1: yeah yeah And we didn't even talk about when the slayers when his minions die there's a little kind of like the hidden creature in the dome of the thing like they die and they don't really die their head sort of splits open and there's this like scream and this little <laughs> lobster thing, you know, mm-hmm. spits out and burrows underground. Yeah. And all of the shapeshifters that the guy creates, the woman, he sends the, the, the Emerald Seer doppelganger are mm-hmm. these little, you know, they're, they're kind of walking skin bags that have these little, you know, alien minions in them. They're like, when they die. And, and I was just like, You know, they don't seem to be the, are they his young? Uh, You know, why is there just the one beast and why are all of these other things, why do they look, none of this is covered. None of this is covered. There's so many questions. I think if you're the type of listener and movie watcher that's like, I would love to see the collision of fantasy and sci-fi, you know, not work. then. <laughs> then you gotta check out Crawl. Yeah,
2: it's a sci-fi fantasy looking, smash up derby. If you're
1: looking for a popcorn movie that you and your friend or you and your, you know, date are are gonna enjoy together. I think it's a pretty specialty. Um it might not be your thing. Yeah. Watch Friday Friday's crazy. Yes, yes. So for next having... week, um we had talked about do you wanna do pure sci-fi? Do you wanna do life force?
2: I would love to do Life Force.
1: Excellent. We're going to do Life Force for next week. Chris and Chris Talk Movies at gmail.com. We're now up on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on all the socials.
2: On the socials. Um, and if you like chats. the show, um, subscribe to it. That would help us a lot.
1: Yeah. I mean, it doesn't help us financially, but mm. we're... You don't have to get more uh, listeners. One of the, Sure. Yeah, we're we're just trying to see if we can make this show more interesting to people, and without changing what it is. Um, and it's exciting to see that more people are downloading and listening to it. That's sort of part of the experiment we did here. Instead of just having a phone call, with <laughs> just <each> other. <laughs> talking
2: into the void. Um, I mean, I yeah, like and, I like that, but yeah, yeah we we yeah, would like and, other other people to listen as well. So yeah, yeah and so that's makes starting to happen.
1: out of it. Um, so next week, Life Force, and it is actually, it isn't, it's pure sci-fi, but they're kind of, they're kind of space vampires, kind of, not to spoil it for you. Um, but, uh, check that out and, uh, tune in next time having watched Life Force so we can all discuss it together and we will talk to you next week.